Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Lenten worship series, and we're going to be focusing during the course of Lent on individuals who are either in Scripture or in church tradition that can inspire us to serve others. In Advent, we were focusing on serving God, and and the thread that connects this is our service. We are a people that are called to service. Jesus has expectations that his disciples will be active in the world in service, and we see that revealed in Matthew 25 when Jesus talks about the judgment of the nations and gathering all the people to him and separating them as a shepherd would separate the sheep and the goats and reminding them that the sheep are those who do the right things. They will feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink. They will clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, visit the sick and the imprisoned. And the goats are those who refuse to do what was right. They would not act in service and love. And so Jesus expects us to do this. And today we see that Abraham is empowered to do a different kind of service. Abraham is a paramount figure in Scripture. Three major world religions trace themselves back to Abraham as their forebearer and their forefather. The one who would be the foundation for not only Judaism, but Christianity and even Islam. All three trace themselves back to Abraham. And as the prophecy is fulfilled, the world has been blessed through these three world religions. All three of us, all those of us who are within Christianity and our brothers and sisters in, in Judaism and Islam, have blessed the world with acts of charity, compassion, mercy, kindness, and love. And so we have continued to fulfill what God has said. But before we get to the final blessing of Abraham upon the nations, it's important for us to look exactly what is happening in this text. Abraham has been blessed by God. The covenant has been bonded and certified, and they are in right relationship, Abraham and the Lord. And so the Lord appears to Abraham and is hosted by him, receives incredible hospitality, and then considers whether or not God should include Abraham in what's about to happen. An outcry has risen up from the world and has reached God's ears about the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities out on the plain. And there God says, I will go down and see what is happening. And God sends two of God's angels to investigate, specifically in Sodom. And as they're making their way there, they stop at Abraham. And then God says to Abraham, no, I am going to tell you what I have in mind because we are in a relationship. Our relationship with God is no less profound and powerful We are encouraged to be engaged with God, not to be mindless followers, but to use the gift of our rational mind. And Abraham exhibits this for us. Now, it can be rather tedious to see how five different times Abraham asks, are you going to destroy this city? But you'll notice that the entire impetus for even letting Abraham know what is going to happen is that God says to Abraham, says to God's self about Abraham, that he is to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. 
not just him, but his children and his household after him. That all of those who trace themselves in the spiritual lineage of Abraham should be those who do righteousness and justice. Do righteousness. Righteousness isn't just a passive status that we hold because we are justified by the blood of the cross, but it is something that we enact. We do acts of righteousness when we stand up for others, when we are advocates for change. And that is one of the things where God encourages us to ask questions, to theologically reflect. Theological reflection is to critically think about the world, oneself, our faith, from a framework of God. That's the theological component of that. And in the United Methodist Church, we are given four things by which to theologically reflect. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And Abraham will employ both his experience with God and his reason in this discussion that he has. And one of the things that we notice is that Abraham chooses this tact. It's, there's a little bit of humility in how Abraham approaches God. There's, a, there's a, some deference there, I, recognizing that God is powerful and just and kind of appealing to that side of God in the conversation. What you don't know from the text that I read to you is that Abraham is well aware that his beloved nephew Lot is living in Sodom. Both of the men had been blessed richly by the Lord. Their flocks had grown so large that they could no longer occupy the same space. And so Abraham graciously said to Lot, you may have your choice of where you would like your grazing lands to be and go and settle, and I will go the other way, and that way we can still live in peace and proximity, but we won't have our people fighting over resources and land and water for our flocks. And so Lot chooses a city of the plains and goes down to Sodom. Abraham is well aware that that's where Lot is. It's not just Lot, it's his wife and his two daughters and, and their household, all of their servants and those who are part of that. And so Abraham could just say, God, whatever's going down in Sodom, that's fine. I would just like for you to save my nephew. I would like for you to just, you know, my people. Forget the rest of the city, but will you just save my people? But instead, Abraham shifts and says, if you find righteousness there, is it not enough? to save the city. And yes, God says it is. God says that even if the minority of a place are righteous, that it is enough. It is enough to continue to lay the groundwork and sow seeds of righteousness. And that for that reason alone, God would not destroy. And Abraham doesn't start with a crazy number. 50 is not a lot. There's more than 50 people in here right now. 50 people. If you find 50, will you save a city? Yes, says God. I will save a city for 50 people. That is enough for me to consider not destroying something that is visiting great sin and wickedness upon the world and bringing suffering up to my ears in heaven. Yes, that is sufficient. And Abraham will continue to tick down that number, 45, 30, 20, and then finally 10. Unfortunately, if we continue and read the story, if we read what is the classical account of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll find out that there were not even ten. Not even ten righteous people. Not even ten righteous people in Lot's household that could save the city. But Abraham chooses to be an advocate for Sodom, knowing that from his position and his vantage point, that there has been trouble down in Sodom, knowing that God is here to find out what's going on and that God may very well discover that there is great wickedness and pain and suffering in Sodom. 
yet he chooses to try to entice God into mercy, to allow God's compassion to be at the forefront of the discussion. We are no less as modern-day Christians. We are given the opportunity to engage God. God encourages this. Ask questions, ponder, consider, wrestle. At some point, Christianity seemed to have perpetuated the myth that we are not to question and wrestle and ask the hard questions. Absolutely we are. We are empowered with these things. Because one of two things will happen. If you ask the question, then God will either give you the wisdom to know the correct answer, or God will confirm for you that you were right. Both of those are positive things. We should never be afraid to ask questions. In fact, sometimes when someone asks us a question, it actually helps us to grow in our faith too. It helps knit us together. We have an encounter. God wants nothing less than that, than these encounters where the relationships are built and expanded upon. Can you imagine that in the kingdom to come, Abraham will be able to sit there and go, God, do you remember that time we had the conversation about Sodom? Do you remember that? I'm sure God does. Yes, it got a little tedious, Abraham. Yes, it did. But there was something beautiful about God's willingness. The parental metaphor is very strong in this story. Right? I can remember the first time that I allowed my child to participate in making a major decision. So if you haven't had a young child recently, a birthday party runs you about $500. It's a lot of money. That's like almost two tithing checks. And so as we were coming close to my son's birthday a couple years ago, he started saying, oh, here's where I want to have my party and this kind of thing. And I said, you know, every time I do a party for you, it's, I co- it's spe- it cost me like $500, like happy birthday, you had an experience. And, and I said, you know, but you keep telling me you want to go on another vacation. Well, a ticket to go on a cruise for you costs $500. He goes, really? I said, yeah, it does. So what would you rather have? If you have to make decisions, would you rather have a birthday party or would you rather go on a cruise? And you know what? It didn't take him very long. He said, I would rather go on another cruise. I was thinking, good, because I would rather go on a cruise than host 12 of your friends at a birthday party. (laughs) But we have to be empowered. I could make those decisions myself as the parent. But when you empower and you take onus of something, there's a beautiful relationship that happens there. There's this encounter and there's a growth towards one another, even as you are growing outward. And so God is giving not only Abraham, but all of us this opportunity to grow together with our Lord, with one another, so that ultimately we can grow outward and expand the grace and the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're to remember when we think about Abraham. Now, Abraham made lots of mistakes. I don't know how many times you've got to pass your wife off as your sister and have it miserably fail for you to learn. However, this is something he gets right. Abraham gets this right. And even though ultimately there were not 10, not 10 in the entire city to save the city, this is such an important moment that it is recorded in Scripture. When you look at the abundance of encounters and experiences that humankind has had with God from the dawn of our creation, this made it into the book. And that tells us that there is worthiness here, that we are encouraged and equipped to do this. 
Abraham recognizes who God is. He knows that God is just and good and righteous and recognizes that a good, just, righteous God would not slay the innocent. And not only does Abraham pay homage to God in the discussion, there's a right way to engage God in questioning, but he's very respectful about whatever your answer is, I am still in this covenant with you. I am still knitted together with you. Christians throughout the ages have been empowered to be advocates for others. And the vast majority of the people that Abraham was advocating for are strangers. He looks at them from a distance and yet was willing to stand up for them, to be in the presence of the living God, a terrifying presence by accounts of the scriptures, and yet willing to speak up. And again, most of us could have taken the easy way out and just said, God, I love you. This is really great. Can you just save my family? I mean, feel free to do what you got to do down in Sodom, but can you just bring my family back to me? But to go out on a limb and risk God's wrath five times asking over and over again, let's play this out, God. How far are you willing to go? Christians do this, and we have it in the Scriptures in the New Testament, where people are willing to stand up. Paul was an advocate for the Gentiles. They were not included in the covenant of Mount Sinai. They were not part of the original gospel message of the original apostles. Instead, Paul decided to advocate for these people. And not advocate that we should make them Jews and then they can become Christians, but that they are worthy and empowered because God is widening the circle for them. You also have acts of mercy and compassion where Christians have advocated for others. One of the greatest advocates for orphans have been Catholic nuns. They created and founded orphanage systems so that children would have a community, a safe place, a roof over their head, food to eat, and the opportunity to be united with other families and find their own home. And of course we see it in social justice. Or in the United Methodist churches, we would say social holiness. It is United Methodist doctrine, it is actually our belief system, that there is no personal holiness without social holiness. That God is perfecting us and making us righteous so that we may be at work perfecting the world through our love and making the world righteous and holy as we are being remade in the divine image that we were originally intended to portray. And as we do this, we see Christians like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who used his rational mind, his wisdom, his intellect. He pulled from the scriptures, he pulled from tr Christian tradition, and he advocated for equality between whites and non-whites. And he did this because he felt that God was empowering him to stand up and bring liberation and justice. And Lent is a time when we should be attuned to this. Lent is a season that's not in the scriptures. Instead, it is part of our tradition. It came from the early church, from the first few hundred years. And during that time, the church was very intentional, 40 days, not including Sundays, to grow in discipline, to be reunited with those who had wandered from the faith, to stoke the flames of our passionate worship and adherence to the greatest of the laws, which was to love God and love our neighbor. 
And as we are journeying through this and we're looking inward, our hope and our prayer is that we are growing as disciples so that when Easter comes at the culmination of Lent, we will have even more to celebrate. We will have greater need to shout hallelujah to the heavens because Lent is a rest from that type of praise. And yet we are constantly being bombarded with an outcry from the world. The cry that went up to the Lord from Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness continues in the world today. The world is crying out. Crying out because there is famine. There are natural disasters that are just wiping away entire communities. There are people crying out because of violence and warfare, hatred, discrimination, and prejudice. And Christians have been empowered to be a voice to be vessels of blessing in the midst of this, to say it is not right or we cannot let this go. We need to make sure that we are reaching out to people and showing them that God is very much for them and present with them, whether things are sunny and celebratory or whether they are dark and deadly, that the church remains very present and vital. Oftentimes, it is easy for us to become introspective and inward-looking, that we focus only on what is happening within the church. But Lent is a time for us to do internal work that we can then turn outward. If the church only becomes a sanctuary and we neglect what is outside of our walls and our doors, then we are failing to pay homage to the exact work that Abraham was showing us we can do. We have been given incredible power and blessing resources so that we can continue this work. And this is precisely what Christ requires of us as disciples. If we become locked in to it is only about me and my relationship with God or it's only about this small group and our relationship with our Lord and Savior, then we are not fulfilling our duty. We are neglecting our call. We are negating the gospel because it is a gift to be given freely, just like the grace that we have received by the blood of the cross. And we are getting ready at the end of Lent, the Saturday after Easter, to put our faith into action, to give our faith form and to continue to show goodness and mercy in the world. Every year, before I got here, this church would participate in packing meals and sending them out all over the world, places like Nicaragua and Haiti, sending them out to places like Honduras and even over into Africa where there is famine and starvation and a threat to people even surviving, much less thriving and having healthy food to eat. And so year by year, the number of food meals that you have packed have increased. Last year, we thought we would pack 25,000, and we packed over 26. And I marvel when I look to see that there are churches that are two or three times the size of Crozet that are not able to do half as many as we do. We did more than the entire Charlottesville district of the United Methodist Church. And we do it in less than a full day. And this year, since we finished early last year, and we actually ran out of supplies at 26,000, we thought, let's up our game and let's do 30,000 meals. 30,000 people can be fed by what we're going to do. 
And at some point, somebody says, well, when are you done? You know, you can't just keep raising the bar. At some point, you're going to raise the goal and we're not going to be able to meet it. Then that's when we know that we have hit critical mass. But Christians can never fall into the mindset of, well, we'll just set it back at 25, and then when we do 26, we look awesome. That is a slacker church, and we don't serve a slacking Savior. So we're not going to practice slacker salvation. Instead, we are going to continually strive. We are going to look to grow not only our reach, but our impact. We need to continue to strive and push and challenge ourselves because it doesn't sound that much bigger. I mean, what are we talking about, 5,000 meals? 5,000 meals. 5,000 more people won't go hungry because of our work. For the sake of feeding 5,000, will we not practice mercy? And we struggle with this because there are lots of things that we could do. Everyone has bills to pay. Everyone has time that they could be using, especially on a Saturday. Everybody has things that they would rather be doing. And yet, there is nothing like serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is nothing so fulfilling as taking the freedom and the liberation that the cross brings to us. The freedom of the emptied grave knowing that we are not bound by our sin or our death and using that to fuel our faith in action. Abraham shows us that we are able with our words to impact God. We are able to impact the world through what we do. There is no higher calling than this. And Christ has laid it before us. What will you do? with the freedom that I have given you. All of your shame, your sin, and your death has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. What will you do with your freedom? What will your liberation bring forth now that you don't have to carry those around? This is a time for us to continue to push ourselves. Every one of us, no matter how young or how vintage a member we are, This is a time for us to see, what are you asking of me now, Lord? What more can I do? Legacies are not about building pretty buildings or financing gorgeous artwork. Legacies are about making change so that those who have been forsaken find out that they are loved. Those who have been hungry find out that God will feed them. And those who wonder if there is truly a God discover through those who already know the Lord that yes, God is with them and for them just as much as God is with and for us. And only a faith that is enlivened in who we are and how we live can preach that gospel. May that be what we work toward, not just for Easter, but for all of our days. And may Lent be the ignition to passionate faith, not just here in Crozet, but in every one of us, no matter where we go. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.